Hey folks, if you've been tuning in over the last couple of months, you've heard all about the Game Time app and how it can save you some serious cash on last-minute tickets to sports, concerts, all types of shows. Just take a look at it right now around the New York City area. You obviously have shows. You have professional bull riding coming to Madison Square Garden early in the year. And on New Year's Day, the Knicks are playing. You can get tickets to that game as well very last minute. And now Game Time is hooking you up for the holidays with a $10 credit. Here's what to do. Download the Game Time app in the Google Play or App Store. Click on the My Tickets section of the app. Create an account. Then under the Billing section, use the redeem code THEATHLETIC. Once again, that's THEATHLETIC, all one word, for $10 off your first purchase. That's free money, people. Credit is only available for the first 1,000 people who redeem that code, and it expires at the end of the year, and you are running out of time because it is New Year's Eve as we record this. That's December 31st, 2019. So make moves quick and score last-minute tickets. You're listening to the New York Football Podcast with Tim McMaster and Dan Duggan. You know, these decisions are never easy, particularly when you have someone like Pat with his character, his integrity, his work ethic. Uh, But at the end of the day, we just didn't win enough games. Usually that is the reason head coaches get fired. As expected, Pat Shermer out as Giants head coach. Dave Gettleman remains as general manager. We'll discuss it all, including a fast-growing list of coaching candidates. This is the New York Football Podcast. Tim McMaster here along with Dan Duggan, who, of course, covers the Giants here uh, for the athletic and Dan, they call it black Monday because of the firings across the league. And it's been happening to the giants more like more often than you would hope. So let's start with Shermer. We'll move on to Gettleman and obviously everything that goes around with this team as we kind of set up the off season on this podcast, but no surprise Shermer out nine and 23 in two seasons with the giants, 19 and 46 overall, which is now seventh lowest percentage of winning percentage in NFL history, which isn't good. Um, was there any chance with the last few weeks and the way the Giants kind of played with a couple of wins that Shermer had a chance to hang on to this job? Or w- was this kind of sealed two months ago? Yeah, I mean, I think somewhere along the, the road during that nine-game losing streak, uh, his fate was sealed. Um, you know, we think back to little moments like, uh, we saw John Mara when he, you know, had steam coming out of his ears, walking out of MetLife Stadium after that loss to the Jets. I think that was like week 10. I think that might have been one of the tipping points. Because um, when you listen to Mara's comments, you know, on Monday, you know, to justify keeping Gettleman but fire Shermer, you have to feel like it's not the roster's problem. It was, you know, the coach's problem that, you know, obviously it's a rebuild, but he felt like they should have won more games this year. And certainly you can point to games, whether it be, you know, playing the Cardinals at home, that Jets game, uh, the Lions, you know, they they lost to a lot of weak teams this year that he certainly was sitting up in his owner's box feeling like, I know we have, you know, a rookie quarterback and, you know, a lot of young players playing, but, you know, there should be more. So uh, I don't think that, you know, a couple of late wins over, you know, Miami and Washington did anything to move the needle. And, you know, Mara being the way he is, I think that there was probably a part of him that they went out and rolled over the Eagles uh, in the finale that maybe that would have given him pause. But he was asked that and he said, no, it probably wouldn't have changed things. So, um, you know, I think the, the, their mind was made up as they started having these discussions late in the season. And uh, I don't think there was much that Shermer could have done. I mean, obviously, 
you know, anyone who's listened to this podcast has known my stance for a while. I just never really saw any signs that Pat Shermer was going to be a great head coach. So assuming the roster catches up at some point um, where they're going to have a lot of pieces to be, you know, a contender, he doesn't feel like the type of coach who was going to give you an advantage in a playoff game against a Pete Carroll coach team or a Sean Payton coach team. And we've seen him get out coached plenty of times by Doug Peterson. So, um, you know, I think the, the jury was kind of in uh, on Shermer. I think the much, much bigger question um, was why, you know, Gettleman was spared. I'm sure some we'll get into quite a bit, but that was um, the mystery coming out of Sunday. Like nobody left the, you know, the Pat Shermer's press conference or left the stadium on Sunday wondering about Shermer's fate. Um, Gettleman, there was a little bit more um, ambiguity and obviously we've come to find out that he is going to be back. So that was more of the uncertainty with, with Shermer. It's really kind of been a fait accompli for quite a while. So obviously there's plenty of question marks that come out of this as far as Shermer goes, because, Hey, when a head coach lasts just two years with your team, um, you know, the eyes kind of turn to the guy who hired him. Cause obviously that makes it look like not a great hire. And that is Dave Gettleman. And you mentioned that, you know, he survives this, although, um, maybe the leash has been shortened at least a little bit because let's listen to a, a little bite of Mara from Monday talking about Dave Gettleman and how while he's keeping his job, things probably have to change a little bit. He does know that the batting average has got to increase going forward though. So Mara basically saying, yep, Gettleman survived this round, Dan, but, but he has to get better. Do you think he's absolutely safe even if a head coach candidate comes in and says you know I don't know if I really want to work with that guy would they um, will they choose Gettleman over the right head coach as we go over these next couple of weeks is he absolutely safe I think so I mean I'll say this we just saw you know as we're recording this the Browns you know just part of ways with John Dorsey because it seems like they had a discussion uh, of you know would he be willing to cede some control to a head coach and there's you know already rumors that Josh McDaniels is sort of that coach they have their eye on. He clearly was not on board with that plan, so now he's no longer on board with the Browns. Now, I mean, if you're the Giants, that was definitely sort of one of the big questions looming over things. And then from talking to people, that is a concern I had heard, that there are going to be head coaching candidates who don't want to work with Dave Gettleman, A, but also B, just the way the Giants are structured, where it's, you know, the GM has, you know, authority over the roster. I know they're going to, you know, say it's collaborative and the head coach has input. You know, of course the head coach has input, but there's situations where the head coach has the say. So if there's a situation where a head coach, you know, part of the conditions for accepting the job is that he has final say over the roster, and that's just not how the Giants do business. And as much as they said, you know, maybe they're open to listening to things, unless that guy pitching it to him as like Bill Belichick, I don't think that they're going to, you know, compromise the way they've done business for, you know, decades upon decades. So, um, but that was sort of a question. Like if, if they set their sights on, let's just say Josh McDaniels, I definitely don't think it's going to be him. Um, but he was, listen, I'm only coming there if I get to, you know, either have a significant influence over personnel, the final say, well, maybe that would have pushed Gettleman out the door the way it just happened with John Dorsey. The fact that they're, they stuck with Gettleman and you know, John Mara went up there, you know, basically said like he's our guy we want him to be our gm for you know years to come it would be a pretty tough look to then turn around once they get into the interview process fall in love with now let's just say matt rule and then realize well matt rule is going to want more personnel control than 
Um, you know, we want to give him, then we fire Dave Gettleman. I think that would really look like a, a directionless franchise. You've already, you know, stood up there and said, Dave's our guy. You had Dave Gettleman take the podium and sort of try to defend himself, whatever you want to call that, uh, on Tuesday. So I think they've kind of made their bed that they're they're sticking with Gettleman for at least another year. Now, it, it will be interesting, though, let's just say that there is a coach who wants more control. I, I think Gettleman has sort of been neutered in a sense where, I think he has to be willing to compromise because it, it definitely feels like, you know, ownership has very much put him on notice. And so I'm sure that they aren't going to let him necessarily stand in the way uh, if there's an attractive head coaching candidate out there. But I just, I don't think they're going to totally scrap what they've done. Like I said, and just like bring in a head coach who's going to have final say over everything. I think that ship has sailed once they brought Gettleman back, but you know, they might have to be willing to, give the coach more of a voice than guys like Pat Shermer and, and Ben McAdoo have had. But uh, that, that's going to be really interesting to see how that that process plays out. But yeah, I, I cannot see a situation where they fire Dave Gettleman, you know, a week from now. Because, again, if you were going to do that, obviously um, the time to do it was right when you did Pat Shermer or in the immediate aftermath. I think you'd look, like I said, really directionless if you're – standing by him one week and then a week later, you know, kick him out the door. So I, I think Gettleman's safe. I, I think it's the leash is very short. It really feels like it's a prove-it year for him. Like, he's been here for two years. They can talk about all the advancements behind behind the scenes. But, you know, they got the quarterback, they believe. They have a top draft pick again. They have a lot of cap space to, you know, go augment the roster. There needs to be some results on the field was the message I got from John Mara. It seems like that's the message to received by Dave Gettleman. I mean, they didn't put an edict that he has to make the playoffs or win 10 games or whatever. But um, I don't think you know, the four or five, six win season is going to be you know considered acceptable by ownership. So I think it's really kind of put up a shut up time for Gettleman. And, and that's where it leads to a dicey situation where you're going to hire a head coach. Let's say next season doesn't go well. You're going to fire Gettleman, then bring in another GM who won't have picked that head coach. It just it, it makes it a sort of volatile situation. Um, but this is the path they've chosen. And, you know, obviously they had the chance to fully hit the reset button, but uh, they showed faith in Gettleman. So now it's really on him to, you know, reward that faith. There were a lot of gems that came out of Gettleman's press conference today um, on a whole bunch of different topics. One of them was when he was basically asked, hey, what about people saying that you're not going to get along with coaches or you have an issue sometimes getting along with other people and coaches? And he kind of took it head on. Um, let's just hear uh, Gettleman's response to that particular question as he didn't seem to under fully understand where that all comes from. Here's Gettleman. Obviously, as we move forward in the coaching search, it's the dating game. And there'll be that opportunity for them to look me in the eye and say, hey, Dave, what up? Oh, that's a good one, Dan. There was a lot of good ones. Overall, just sitting in the room for that press conference, it just seemed weird. He didn't seem to have the air of the man that's going to lead this franchise into the next, um, you know, generation or next setting he he did talk about analytics and how they've grown there and things like that but overall he seemed very much on the defensive yeah and just back, back to that soundbite it's like they're really pitching like you know dave gettleman the big fuzzy personality that all these guys are going <laughs> to fall in love with i mean you know because mara's asked the same question like are you are you concerned that just gettleman's presence is going to negatively impact the coaching candidate pool and he said like no once guys get to know dave like i mean i Dave's kind of a uh, kind of a brash personality. I don't know that he is for everybody, but you know they're they're selling as if like you know how could you not love Dave Gettleman? Like I can find you know probably fifty thousand fans uh, 
you know, you know, show up at MetLife Stadium, we might have a different opinion of that. But um, yeah, the press conference on Tuesday, he had definitely a different tone because he has certainly um, been very boastful and and sort of condescending in his previous press conference. Like, I look at my resume, like, you know, I know more than you type of deal. Uh, you know, nine wins in two years is, is a bit humbling. And he was certainly far more on the defensive today. At the same time, I mean, he hasn't spoken in, I think it's been five months, six months. And he had to know that, you know, the, the questions were going to be pretty harsh. And, and they certainly were. And they came fast and furious. And he didn't seem overly prepared or just didn't have good answers. You would think if there's if nothing else, he's had time to formulate, you know, how he's going to present, you know, his moves or his vision. Um, you know, again, whether he's able to execute is one thing. But I, I just didn't think he did a really good job of articulating it. And, you know, some of the questions were stuff that you had, you'd see coming from a mile away, like on the Leonard Williams trade or you know, some of his rationale with that. And I, you know, I tweeted it after the press conference. Like I've been skeptical of that trade all along, but was kind of like willing to hear, get on the justification. And I came away, you know, feeling worse about, you know, the reasoning behind that trade. Cause it really feels like he just gave up two draft picks to get information on Leonard Williams to like, you know, really get to know what type of player he is like what is your personnel staff doing what are you doing that's your job to to do that homework without giving up draft picks to to identify if this guy's gonna be a fit you know on the field off the field that's exactly why these guys make six and most you know in gentleman's case seven figure salaries to be able to identify that stuff without just giving up draft picks for you know an eight game rental so that was um you know puzzling and it definitely if you if you're on the fence about that Leonard Williams trade, that you couldn't have come out of that feeling, you know, good about, you know, where sort of the thought process was on that. But yeah, I mean, he, you know, he's always going to provide a few gems because he just sort of has a way with words uh, anytime he's depressed. But I, I definitely felt like, you know, this was a, a different tone. I mean, you mentioned the analytics. I mean, they are certainly pushing that. And, you know, when John Mayer was talking about it on Monday, it felt like that was not speaking to the fans or the media. He was saying that to you know, prospective coaching candidates because, you know, all they have is the image of Dave Gettleman, you know, mockingly typing on an imaginary keyboard when talking about analytics and knowing how, you know, a lot of these younger coaches are far more advanced in, you know, in that department. He wants to sell to them. He even said, you know, it's not the same old the Giants over here or, you know, not business as usual, I think maybe is what he said, but um, you know, his point was definitely that we are more advanced than maybe what you're seeing, but then nobody's offered any specifics. Now, part of that, I wanted to get that question out. Like, can you just, you know, identify some of these advancements you made? Like, how are you applying them? And it was tough to get a question in there. You can only talk for 30 minutes and you know, everyone's shouting everybody down to you know get their question out. So maybe that'll be a question for, I don't know, the combine next time you might speak. Um, but yeah, it was, it, there wasn't a lot of like concrete uh, evidence that Dave Gettleman has become this huge you know, analytics guy. It felt more like he's been told you need to start embracing it. So he's, you know, he's sort of like the grandfather's, you know, kid showing him how to turn on the computer because it just does not feel natural. It does not feel like, um, you know, it, it's something that comes like that he chooses to, to buy into because he, again, he's mocked it plenty of times. And, you know, he's certainly one of those, you know, like the movie Moneyball. He's one of the old school scouts that, you know, goes by what his eyes tell him. So, um, the, the analytics thing feels like it's kind of being forced and they're really trying to tell you um, how much of a part of that that's going to be of the organization. But again, I think they're telling more of that to prospective coaches. Like, don't buy this. You know, Dave's a dinosaur, who, you know, doesn't you know care about analytics. Like, we're getting we're getting on the cutting edge here. So um, it'll be interesting at some point here to, to dive down deeper to see exactly uh, what all that means. Because to, to me today, it just sort of felt like lip service to a, 
kind of a, a buzzword that they know that they have to probably get with the times a little bit. So they, they kind of bang that drum, you know, when Marion Gettleman spoke. You mentioned the Leonard Williams answer. Um, so let's hear a little bit of that one because that's another one of the real gems from this presser. So let's listen to, to Gettleman talking about that Leonard Williams trade and why it was made. Bottom line is we felt it was worth the deal. The juice was worth the squeeze. That that bite stood out to me, Dan, for this reason. He seemed almost um, on his back heels about it. And to me, when you're going into this press conference, um, there's only a few like absolute, I'm going to be asked about this and need a great answer for it. Obviously, replacing the head coach, you need an answer to to talk about who the next, what the next guy is going to look like. Uh, maybe the analytics thing, but the other one is there's been so much talk about that Leonard Williams trade all season long, and he hasn't spoken about it. He had to know that question was coming, and it almost was like it blindsided him, and he kind of wandered around and finally finished with uh, the you know the juice was worth <laughs> the squeeze there at the end. Um, I I was just confused by him not having a more succinct. Um, almost rehearsed answer for the question. Yeah. And, and again, like I'm a believer in like, you know, listen, I'm in the press, so I put some value in press conferences, but I'm definitely a believer that, you know, actions speak louder for words than, you know, what these guys do, what they say to us. You no, know, it's not a court of law. No one holds them to it. But I will say with Gettleman, especially on this Leonard Williams trade, because it was a, you know, controversial decision that a uh, move that we needed, you know, the rationale explained because there's so many skeptics of it. And the way he was really unable to articulate it, to me, that's not just press conference words. That's like, I don't know, like, it just doesn't feel like he has a full grasp of the, you know, the, the value of the draft picks. And even just some of the things he said, like, he said, if they aren't able to sign Williams, well, they'll get a third round comp pick. And I mean, that's like an argument fans make. I, I think we've gone over this on the podcast. I know I've gone over on Twitter. Let's just address this though like once and for all so like they right now traded the number 68 overall pick in the 2020 draft to the jets like that's not coming back no matter what happens to Leonard williams so let's just play it out with the Leonard williams leaves in free agency so that they're losing that pick they're also then losing a fifth round pick in 2021 but if they don't make any you know free agent signings with all this cap space they're going to have and Leonard williams goes out and signs a big deal you know elsewhere then yes, they would be in line to get a comp pick and, and maybe a, a comp pick at the end of the third round, uh, which would be, you know, what, in the late 90s. But again, that is contingent upon Williams signing a huge deal and the Giants not signing a huge deal to cancel it out. So if you're going to sit here and Leonard Williams is going to walk in free agency and you're going to be sitting there with 70, 80 million dollars in cap space, you're telling me the plan is not to then go spend it because you, you need better players. That's what this whole thing is about. That's why you acquired Leonard Williams. If it's not Leonard Williams, it's got to be in Gawkway from Jacksonville. I mean, there's there's going to be big ticket free agents that can make an impact on a team that desperately needs difference makers. So the idea that, ah, you know, it's a third round pick in 2020, it's a third round pick in 2021, like that's crazy. Like it's, it's they don't equate, again, because you're talking about a 30 pick differential, you're talking about a year down the line. So those two things are just basic value. But then also it's relying on a, a like a variable that's, I think, is just misleading because they're going to spend the money. It's not a situation where they, they're tight against the cap, so they're just going to sit in their hands. They're going to spend if they don't re-sign Leonard Williams. So it really all comes back to they put themselves in a corner where they have to sign, re-sign Leonard Williams. And Leonard Williams is a fine player, but the idea that like he's this irreplaceable piece that like they have to trade for and now they have to pay top dollar to, 
I, I just can't understand it. Like, you know, he's not Aaron Donald. He's not Khalil Mack. He's not like these once in a generation guys that you just don't have a chance to get. So you have to, you know, do everything in your power. Like he's a good player. If the, if he stayed with the Jets all season or if he got traded elsewhere and the Giants never got a chance to get him, like, I just don't feel like that would be a, a big deal because there's probably an equitable player out there that you have to spend. Or if you, you know, again, the, the obvious uh, approach would have been just let Leonard Williams hit free agency and bid for him because that's what's going to take. I mean, I will say if they're able to sign him before the league year starts, it takes a little sting out of the deal. It just doesn't feel like that's what's going to happen because Leonard Williams has been in the NFL for five years. He has waited for this real, you know, monster payday. He's obviously gotten a pretty good check so far as a first round pick and fifth year option, but like this is the chance to set, you know, generations of Leonard Williams' family. So it's just hard for me to see him, you know, taking some sort of hometown discount or something from the Giants a month before he's able to see what 31 other teams value him in at. And if you do, you know, lock him up for then you're probably going to give him a, a monster contract that he's just was well, too good to turn down. So like I just don't I don't think they gain nearly enough to, to trade for him, especially when they're a losing team and, and going nowhere. And, and I, you know, he said Leonard Williams said he wants to stay. What's what Leonard Williams going to say to the GM? Nah, I think I'm, I think I'm out of here. So of course he said that, but again, actions speak louder than words. Um, you know, I, I fully expect Williams to test the market. You also have to consider now Leonard Williams came in, you know, learned the system, got to know the coaches. Oh, they're, you know, they're all gone. Are they going to be playing a three, four at the new coach and playing a four, three? Like, is he going to know the new coach? Like there's just so many variables that, um, you know, I just it's just a very hard trade to defend. And Gettleman didn't do a good job, in my opinion, at all of clearing that up today. So that it just makes you lose a little confidence in sort of just the, the big picture thought process. I feel like people are getting lost in the like, well, he's a good player or a third round pick wouldn't have been as good as Leonard Williams. Like those aren't really what's being critiqued here. It's more, you know, process and value. And it just doesn't feel like time and again, Gettleman has you know, the best grasp of those things. And then the fact that he wasn't able to say something today, maybe say, oh, oh, I didn't think of that. All right, that's a good, you know, like he was just given very basic um, explanations that didn't compel me or didn't, you know, didn't sway me at all because it was like, oh, that that's all it was. You just want to get to know him better. Like, yeah, anyone could have figured that, but doesn't feel like giving up two draft picks for, for that knowledge is, is a worthy investment. Yeah, there's a there's a lot to figure out there. There's a lot of dysfunction to take care of as far as the Giants go this offseason. And, you know, talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually people just brush it off or blame themselves saying things like, I lost my mojo or we avoid it all together with excuses like I had a long day at work. Sorry, honey, I'm just not feeling it. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about it. With a real doctor who can prescribe real medication, it's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. The doctor will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you, free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com slash Giants and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a doctor and take care of it. Just go to GetRoman.com slash Giants to get a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash Giants for a free visit to get started. GetRoman.com slash Giants. All right, so let's move on to the coaching candidates because this is going to be obviously the big deal over the next couple of weeks of which of these guys, um, and some of them obviously 
maybe rank higher as far as what we know as far as the team's wish list, as far as what fans want to see. But you can correct me if I'm wrong here, Dan, but I believe right now we're at seven names. There's Matt Rule, uh, who's the head coach at Baylor. They're getting ready to play in the Sugar Bowl right now. Uh, there's Josh McDaniels, the Patriots offensive coordinator. Eric Bieniemy is the Kansas City Chiefs offensive coordinator. Joe Judge, who's the Patriots special teams coach. Then Mike McCarthy, of course, longtime Packers head coach. Don Wink Martindale, the Dave, the Ravens defensive coordinator, and Chris Richard, the Cowboys defensive back coach. So it's it's a wide net to begin with, but it seems like Dan Matt Rule is um, is the number one target. Is that true, or is that just kind of what we're hearing? Yeah, I mean, let's yeah we'll start there because it's so early in the process. It's hard to necessarily handicap the field, but he's the one who stands out, you know, probably as the top target. And, you know, I, I think, you know, with him, it's a little different because he's he's out of college. So it's not like with the NFL where, um, you know, with these teams that, you know, coaches are still in the contract, coaches are still in the playoffs. The Giants have to, like, send a formal request to, let's say, the Patriots saying they want to interview Josh McDaniels. Josh McDaniels then has to accept the interview, which I'm not sure that he will do because he was, you know, he came through here two years ago. And, I, and my sense was that uh, I don't think he was too keen on, on joining Dave Gettleman, but. Uh, we'll see. And maybe things have changed there on that front. But uh, regardless, and then, you know, the interviews are, are scheduled with with Rule. You know, Baylor's playing in the Sugar Bowl on you know, New Year's Eve day, night. I don't know. I butchered that. But you know what I'm saying? January 1st at night, he's playing uh, Georgia in the Sugar Bowl. So uh, nothing will happen before that. I mean, he's not going to, you know, disrespect, you know, the the program he's, he's spent the last three years building by, like, bailing uh, on game day or anything like that. So, um, you know, he, he said he's going to King uh, Cabo, I think, with his wife and kids on Thursday. Uh, I have a feeling that that trip could end up getting postponed because if NFL teams uh, are trying to interview for the job, I, I don't know that's the best time to take vacation. So I, I think that, um, you know, I, again, I think that, that might get put on hold. Sorry to the kids, but, you know, they'll, they'll have plenty of vacations when he signs a you know, contract making $5 million a year. Um, but, you know, obviously, the, you know, the Giants are certainly going to be interested. The Panthers are another team that uh, is very interested. The Browns apparently ruled, uh, declined the, their interview interest. So um, he's, he's being choosy already. And I think that's an important thing to keep in mind. I mean, he's, he's 44 years old. Uh, my understanding, you know, Baylor, unfortunately, it's a private school because it'd be great if he's at a state school would know every detail of his contract, but, you know, everything's kind of kept under lock and key at Baylor. But uh, my understanding is he's one of the top 10 uh, paid college coaches in the country, and he's got a contract that runs through 2027 that we know if he wins, you know, it'll just keep getting ripped up and extended and more money to be added. So he's in a very good spot where he is not desperate. He doesn't uh, need to take a head coaching job in the NFL because he can just stick at Baylor you know, be a king down there and see what comes up next year. Again, if things don't work out, it feels like, you know, he's probably going to make a move. And again, I, I, you know, there's, it's been very interesting. I've heard very um, conflicting uh, information from people about where he stands on the Giants. Now, he was an assistant offensive line coach on Tom Coughlin's staff in 2012. Um, you know, apparently had very high reviews at that time within the organization from players. Uh, he moved on to become the Temple head coach. So obviously it was a little bit of a springboard for him. I, you know, I from what I understand, he looked back fondly on his time here. So he's familiar with the organization. You know, things have changed a little bit. But, you know, Marit, Tish, a lot of people in the building, uh, of course, are still here. Dave Gellman was in the front office at that time. So there's familiarity there. He's a New York guy. Um, you know, I know Connor Hughes, my colleague who covers the Jets. You know, he had talked to a league source who said, it's, you know, rules dream job. 
And, you know, Dave Gettleman's presence, you know, wouldn't be an obstacle at all. But I have heard from other people, you know, who, who talk to people close to rule um, that said, you know, there might be a little, you know, some reservations there, um, w- you know, with Gettleman. Um, the Panthers are sort of an intriguing opening because, you know, they have the, the new o- owner who's willing to sort of restructure, um, you know, how they do business. And there might be more of an opportunity for, you know, rule to have. Um, you know, a stronger impression on, on how things play out if, if it's, you know, sort of a fluid situation he walks into. Whereas, again, we've talked about the Giants. It's, it's been set for decades how their power structure operates. So, um, I mean, these are all stuff, things will have to be hashed out uh, during interviews. I and mean, we, we can't sit here from the outside, predict, you know, how it's going to go when Rule does sit down and say, what up, Dave? And uh, they have their chance to, to chat. But um, just from sort of circumstantial evidence and, and what we've been able to piece together this early in the process, he looks like the favorite. But, you know, if, if people remember from 2018, I mean, I think at this point, um, at that in that coaching search, I mean, Steve Wilkes was considered the early favorite because he was connected to Gettleman from Carolina. And then obviously he uh, fell by the wayside and ended up in Arizona. And then there was a lot of reports that Matt Patricia was the favorite. And, you know, however that broke down, you know, he ended up in Detroit. So, I always caution just because the team wants a coach or even if the coach wants a team, you know, both sides have to be uh, on the same page and both sides are going to have options because the Giants may love Matt Rule and and want him so desperately, but he might just say, well, I think the Panthers are a better fit and he might choose there. So um, there's there's so many variables at play in these and and we're so early in the process again, you know, we're we're talking seven names. So they're going to have to whittle that down. We'll see how many of the actual interview you have to see how the interviews do. You have to see what other teams, you know, show interest because I mean, a lot of times it's the same handful or so of candidates interviewing for the same handful or so of openings. It becomes like a game of musical chairs. So, um, you know, it's way too early to say like they're, they're, Matt Rule is going to be the next coach of the Giants. But I guess if I had to make a bet at this super early stage, that would be my guess. But you know, again, we'll have to see how the next days and, and probably weeks play out before I can, you know, have a more you know, firm stance that, you know, it's, it's definitely headed that direction because, again, it's just so early right now. It's always fascinating how um, the narrative on these things plays out. As Matt ruled just in the last couple of weeks, um, as far as Giants perspective, or I guess it's been longer than that, um, you would think like reading fan opinions on Twitter and just like listening to, to fans that this guy is like the savior and there's a no doubt, no no question he'll come in and, and be the guy and turn this franchise around and all of that. But you look at his resume, Dan, and, you know, he came up as a as an assistant coach through the college ranks, um, had the one year, the 2012 with the Giants. Then he turned around Temple, did a tremendous job with the Owls, and then he jumped to, to Baylor where in three years he's he's taken that team from 1-11 and to 11-1. and We know he's a great college coach, but he doesn't have very much NFL experience, and I feel like there's – I mean, maybe he is the right guy, and, and obviously that's why you do the interviews and everything, but I think it's it's – I think we're jumping ahead a little bit if we're assuming he's going to be a success. Yeah, I mean, his only NFL experience is the one year as the assistant whole line coach of the Giants. I think that's about as low as you can really be on the uh, coaching staff totem pole. But, you know, you, you know, obviously you can't gloss over what he did at, at Temple and Baylor because those programs, it's not like he took, you know, Ohio State from like 10-2 and two to 12-0. and 0. I mean, he took programs that were really uh, in the gutter and, and, you know, raised them as high as, uh, as can be, especially – you know, you know, Temple obviously had always been a punching bag, and he got them to back-to-back ten-win seasons. And then, you know, Baylor, he walked into uh, everything after that sexual assault scandal down there, and yep. you know, it's pretty remarkable how 
that, that program didn't go off the rails when it seemed like it had every uh, you know every direction seemed to be every, everything seemed to be pointing that direction I should say um, but yeah it's, it's different I mean because the, the thing that always gives me pause about like you know quote unquote great college coaches is a lot of times their greatest attribute is recruiting. And the NFL is the ultimate level playing field when it comes to that because there's a draft and there's a salary gap. So you can't just get 25 stars and just be flat out better than the team you're playing against. I mean, there's there's advantages that you can, you know, some some teams are better at identifying talent or better at coaching, whatever. But it's, you know, it's the margins are a lot smaller. Whereas in college, you're just, you know, no matter how, how great you coach them up. I mean, LSU's got, you know, five stars everywhere on the field. It's going to be tough to, to beat them. So uh, that's definitely always a, a cause for concern with a college coach. And uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, you just hear so many great things about rule, but there's no way anyone can, you know, feel like it's a lock that he's going to be a great NFL head coach. There's just, I mean, of course, there's no evidence um, so that would support that. So I, I think you're just looking at, you know, the Giants are, you know, leadership is really their biggest thing. Uh, that they said that they're looking for. And, you know, he certainly has demonstrated that he has that quality and that he's able to, uh, you know, build a culture. And then again, that's another one of their, you know, big words there. Um, so, I mean, I, I, I can see kind of both sides. And I understand the optimism about a guy who, again, he's 44, the arrow might be pointing up, but, you know, you can't wait forever until a guy you know is, is going to, you know, be a star because, you know, they'll already be somewhere else by that point. And we've touched on the past how they let the, you know, Sean McVay's and, and Kyle Shanahan's and Matt LaFleur's, you know, slip through the cracks without ever really even kicking the tires on those types of guys. So, um, you know, I think it's, it's encouraging that they're um, trying to get ahead of the curve a little bit. I mean, obviously, Rule's name has been on the radar. You know, pretty close to taking the Jets job from all reports a year ago. And then he uh, he backed out when they wanted to dictate his staff, which, again, that's um, understandable. But again, shows that he's just not going to just jump at the first time an NFL team bats their eyes at him. He has a good situation at Baylor, very well compensated. So uh, it's going to have to be the right situation. Um, so, yeah, I mean, but if he, if he gets the job, you know, there'll, there'll certainly be excitement because it feels like, hey, they got their guy. Um, but it'd be crazy for anybody to say with certainty how it's going to go because, you know, anything with him at the NFL level is, you know, a complete unknown. Yeah, and he was asked about NFL openings um, at the press conference at the Sugar Bowl, and he said, as you would expect, all the right things from a Baylor perspective. He said that he's happy at Baylor. He said happy is more important than money a lot of times, sure. and he said he was asked directly, do you plan to be the head coach at Baylor next year? And he said, yes, I plan to be back at Baylor next year. Of course, all of that can go away in a week, <laughs> um, but but um, he said all the right things. So it's at least good to know that he knows how to handle himself in a press sure. conference when you're asked questions that you can't really answer um, really truthfully. So at least he has that going for him. So the exact opposite, a lot of the guys they're, they're aiming at here are obviously up and coming coaches, um, special teams coach with the Patriots coordinator with the chiefs. Uh, Josh McDaniels has been a head coach, but is, is probably ready to, to do it again. Then the other side of the spectrum though, is Mike McCarthy. How does his name enter this formula, this situation where you have all these seemingly young guys on the rise and then you have a guy who was a head coach won a Super Bowl with the Packers was there a long time and then and then left a couple of years ago yeah I mean I'll say this it's, it's a pretty diverse field that they're uh, putting together here because it's not just all you know former head coaches not just all offensive coordinators it feels right. like they're casting a wide net and I think that's something you want to see especially because you know we've documented the fact that the last two searches um, have really been uninspiring but 
they they're really kind of gone all over the map because you know McDaniel's again he's a guy who he's still young which is crazy because I feel like he's been around forever but I think he's still just in like his mid forties but he has that coaching experience and you know, we heard all you know so much about how how much he learned uh, from those experiences in Denver and, and obviously uh, now he has that Colts experience to add to his his resume so um, he's an interesting guy again I I don't see him uh, you know being the guy. Again, like just like I said earlier, it's too early to, for me to definitively say that. Just that's just reading tea leaves, and you know now it's obviously late developing, but it feels like maybe the Browns is going to be the fit because maybe that's what prompted some of the the reshuffling in their front office. But um, you know, Eric Bieniemy and Chris Richard. I mean, these are the kind of young, up and coming coordinators who you know are really just kind of getting on the coaching carousel. Then you throw in uh, you know Wink Martindale, who's you know, more of like the grizzled, um, you know, guy who's been around a long time, you know, trying to get that first head coaching job. Uh, Joe Judge, the special teams coordinator for the Patriots, that that one's, you know, pretty off the map. But I, I kind of like that. I, I like that they're willing to, you know, kind of uh, turn over every stone because, um, you know, just going with the, the flow of the standard guys hasn't worked the last two go-rounds. So maybe there is, you know, you'll, you know find lightning in the bottle with the uh, – a guy who's mostly been a special teams coordinator and, you know, is pretty young. And, um, you know, I, I wouldn't think he'd be, you know, an early favorite or anything, but, you know, it doesn't hurt to interview him. But, yeah, and then McCarthy is definitely the outlier as a guy who has really been, you know, a long-term, long-time NFL coach, has had some success. It was interesting to me that, you know, you didn't really hear his name the first, you know, 24 hours or so, which made me wonder if he was going to be on the radar because he's not someone you have to request permission for or you have to worry about stepping on toes of, um, you know, an existing employer because he's been out of a job since the Packers fired him a year ago. And, you know, but then obviously Tuesday they did come around and express some interest there. I I'll, I don't know. I, I've, you know, sort of lukewarm feelings on McCarthy. I mean, one strike against him, and this is probably unfair, is that, you know, you're talking about Ben McAdoo's mentor. So uh, they've kind of, they've went to the branch of that tree. I don't know if going to like the root of it is is the right direction after seeing how I think about McAdoo. Like, I, and I think that, I'm not saying that they're identical or anything, but they're going to obviously have very similar offensive concepts, sort of seem like similar personalities. Like, I feel like McCarthy was sort of a prickly guy and, and the Green Bay press ain't exactly uh, the New York press. So I don't know how, how that would play. There's reports that he didn't really interview well with the Jets last year. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, for a guy who's got a Super Bowl and has a you know a pretty good looking resume, there is sort of like a, a stink on him that it, it just, you would think he'd be more in demand. I mean, look at Ron Rivera; he was out of work for like four weeks, and the Redskins you know couldn't snatch him up fast enough. And I will add a little bit interesting that Rivera didn't even wait to really see what happened with the Giants situation. I mean, he and Gettleman worked together for four years. By all indications, it was a pretty good relationship, but. They, Gives you a little pause on that front that he was like, I'm good with just hitching my wagon to Dan Snyder. I don't even like need to hear from you know John Marin, Dave Gettleman. You know, you can read into that sort of what you will, but I just I did find that interesting. Um, but again, so as far as that, so Rivera hit the market right away, and, and McCarthy's been out there for a year. It doesn't feel like he's really at the top of anyone's list. You have to think there's reasons for that. I mean, I know um, you know there's some stories that came out towards the end of his time at Green Bay where it seems like. Um, really kind of lost his way. And, and you, even you look at the success he had, well, you also had Aaron Rodgers in his prime. You, I think he had Brett Favre, uh, you know, in the early days there. So to win one Super Bowl when you had that type of talent at quarterback is, is almost like disappointing, which is it's tough to say to have a Super Bowl on your resume, but it just felt like they didn't even really 
um, achieve everything they could have. Again, when you're talking about Aaron Rodgers in his prime. And, um, so I, I, he's not a guy that, you know, really excites me, but, you know, maybe they, uh, you know, they, they get him in the room and, and he's a changed man. Cause I know he's done what a lot of former coaches do where they, they sort of get on that PR trail and, and pitch how, how much they've changed and evolved. So, um, you know, we'll see, but, um, I, I don't, I don't, he's, he's a guy who off the jump doesn't, doesn't really excite me. Cause maybe, maybe it's cause he's a no commodity and it's like, we're more intrigued by these, you know, unknowns, but, um, definitely someone to keep an eye on because, you know, as we've said, I mean, you can't really argue with the resume. It's certainly going to be fascinating as we get through the interview process and take it from there. And along the way, we'll have uh, updates with you on the podcast here. Uh, we won't be coming to you twice a week anymore through the off season, but uh, we'll try to check in about once a week, sometimes more uh, more infrequently than that. But definitely anytime there's breaking news, especially with the search for the head coach, we will be here on the New York Football Podcast. Um, there's plenty of other teams looking for head coaches as well. And the Football Fact Check with Dave Damashek has you covered on all of the firings across the league. On Monday's episode, he breaks down which destinations are the most desirable and how NFL playoff teams should actually be seeded. That's the Football Fact Check podcast right here on The Athletic. Uh, Dan, obviously, will have news updates on Twitter as well, so follow him at ddugin 21 I'm at Tim M. McMaster. That's going to do it for this edition of the New York Football Podcast. Thanks to Marissa Morris, our producer, and we'll talk to you again soon. <laughs>